The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Schaap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Okay, today we're going to discuss how emerging technologies and manufacturing companies based in China are marketing themselves for international expansion. Joining us is Francis B., who is the founder and managing director of Eleven International, which is a cross-border marketing and communications firm for VC-funded robotics, AI, and blockchain companies looking to establish a presence in new markets through the use of PR, influencer marketing, video production, and brand development. Today, Francis is going to tell us about how the cultural differences between the United States and China create common problems and how the companies that are trying to expand across borders tackle them. Here's our interview with Francis B., the Managing Director of Eleven International. Francis, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you here. I'm excited to talk about really how to create a worldwide audience and how some of the cultural differences between two of the biggest economies in the world make interesting challenges when companies are trying to expand. You work in a really innovative space. So let's just start off by you telling us a little bit about your firm, what you do, and some of your experience. So actually, I've been working in the tech scene for a while now. And a lot of the companies that I've actually worked for past five years, six years have been for Chinese tech companies. I kind of came to China accidentally per se through personal reasons. And before that, I was actually a journalist and eventually got involved again in the tech scene in China. But it was kind of an opportune time, mainly because as you've seen in the past five or even longer years, China has become a bit of a global force. And as a result, what's happened is there has been recent interest where a lot of these companies are looking to expand their presence, not into just Southeast Asian markets, which was kind of the natural transition as a lot of these Southeast Asian markets have a very large Chinese diaspora. But now they're actually transitioning to the U.S. market where they're employing folks like myself to help them enter what they previously saw as a really challenging market. So for us, some of the things that we help them with is obviously there's the communication side of things where it involves PR, influence and marketing. At the same time, we help them with branding as well. 
that's actually been a pretty challenging space for them to tackle in terms of the marketing mix, mainly because there is that sort of cultural difference. And just with the way Chinese companies tend to work in the past, they haven't been as comfortable with hiring foreign employees. But of course, that landscape is actually changing. So a lot of these companies are becoming definitely a lot more international. You bring up an interesting point about how Chinese companies have been hesitant to hire non-Chinese employees. Talk to me a little bit about some of the cultural differences and the reason behind the mindset for wanting to keep the entire in-house team from a specific upbringing from China. When I got started in China, they were actually looking to expand their presence through apps. And a lot of these apps were mainly just utility apps. But a lot of the localization that happens in these products are very language oriented in the sense that all you have to do is really translate them. Obviously, there are additional differences in terms of how users in China versus the US consume these apps. However, as a utility app, they're usually browsers, they're usually Android launchers, which have very little differentiation between markets. So that tended to be a launching pad for a lot of these companies that were looking to expand. However, as a result, it didn't really require them to have sort of an international team, except for maybe just a localizer and then maybe one foreign marketing person. But that landscape, particularly since hardware came into play, where there are companies like Xiaomi, OnePlus, and there's a ton of companies out in Shenzhen who are looking to build a global presence through hardware. That has changed because a lot of the products that they're building actually do have differences in terms of the software integration and in terms of even like the AI that's usually embedded. A lot of the clients that I work with integrate AI with hardware and those actually have localization differences that involve more than just a simple translator. And as a result, because increasingly Chinese companies are becoming more present overseas, they've actually been improving, at least from what I've seen in the past five years or six years, how they actually even manage their teams and also hire people from diverse backgrounds. Chinese people tend to like to work with the people that they're familiar with. And there's definitely cultural differences between how people think or operate in China. For instance, one of the big things that especially a lot of foreign employees tend to be surprised about when it comes to the Chinese work style, there's something called 996. And that means that we, especially in the startup space, tend to work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. And then back, in fact, some of the companies that I previously worked for, that was actually mandatory. And that goes for a lot of the Chinese tech companies out here. But things have definitely changed, especially the past couple of years, where there's actually a lot of Chinese returnees that are coming from companies like Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatnot, or they've actually studied abroad. And they're bringing a lot of that knowledge that they've learned overseas back to China, where they're seeing a lot more opportunity to build the next generation company. Have you seen the show Silicon Valley? I have. I love that. So it's hysterical and working and living in Silicon Valley, even though the show is satire, there's a lot of truth to some of the things that happen. I don't remember the character's name, but there is a Chinese character that is living in the incubator with the rest of the cast and not to ruin the show for anybody who hasn't heard it, but 
he goes back to China and he goes into his own incubator and the people that are the main characters of the company go to visit him at his incubator. And on the whiteboard behind him, it says something to the extent of Facebook for China, Amazon for China, Twitter for China, Netflix for China, and then Pied Piper for China. The reason why I bring this up, and again, this is satire, and I hope it's not offensive to anybody. China is our third biggest market for this podcast, and we appreciate everybody in the market that is listening. But there is satire that's built around some truth where there's a lot of Chinese technology that has been a spinoff of something that has been developed in the US. And now what you're saying is there is a shift away from let's build the Facebook for China and have it be proprietary for this economy to let's take the apps and services that are built in China and expand them outward into other markets. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Why is that trend happening? Why is China a country that has some very strong sort of political differences than the United States? Why are they trying to push their technology out to the rest of the world? I think, especially in the communication side of things, what you'll find is that a lot of these Chinese companies, a little bit longer in the past, leveraged a global image and brought it back to China in the sense that if they were able to tackle tier one markets like the US or even markets like Southeast Asia, it's a brand building opportunity where it actually generates more interest and more authority for that product. And then also from the government level, there's, of course, various initiatives to support technologies such as AI, such as blockchain more recently. So there's been a lot of support from various angles, I suppose. And as a result, a lot of these tech entrepreneurs, particularly because a lot of them recently have been coming from overseas in the sense that they originally worked overseas or studied overseas or even lived overseas, they themselves have more of a global mindset. And as a result, they have sort of larger ambitions. And more recently, since 
a lot of these companies have been considered to be sort of on par with American companies. They're hungry to build the next global brand or the next global Facebook, but a Chinese version of that. So you'll see a lot of different products like Alibaba is one example. And the equivalent that a lot of people use is Amazon. And Alibaba these days have very large overseas teams. They've been hiring very senior people. And actually, to a large part, in the case of Jack Ma, he believes to have more of an international mindset from the beginning in the sense that I do remember that he had hired early on foreign employees to help him better understand the overseas market while also leveraging talent from the overseas market. So even when you look at their PR, and I have journalist friends as well, if you compare their communication strategies to other companies like Baidu, there are stark differences where they're more amenable to PR requests from overseas journalists, whereas they might be more used to how PR is done in other companies might be more used to how PR is done in China. You bring up Alibaba and the thing that occurs to me, and maybe this is just my mindset, I'll preface this with, I was born in the United States. I live in Silicon Valley. I actually grew up in Northern California, you know, around the tech boom. And my understanding of the mainstay of the Chinese economy has been manufacturing. So I understand a service like Alibaba, which is taking the core infrastructure of the Chinese economy and pushing it out to the rest of the world. China is a manufacturing powerhouse. This is a Chinese-run service that lowers the hurdle for people to get access to the goods produced in China. Makes ton of sense. Where your company is focused is more on emerging technologies, right? AI and blockchain, for lack of a better term, buzzword-heavy industries right now that are still developing. Why is the Chinese government so interested in supporting and developing these industries? And, and where are the people that are working in them struggling to actually expand beyond the borders of China? The great thing about how the Chinese government tends to work is they kind of let companies do their thing and see where things go without providing too many regulatory hurdles, which I think is sort of contrast to what you might see in the States. At the same time, particularly where it comes to these emerging technologies, they're very forward thinking. As you probably have heard, a lot of the technology that you see in our daily lives while living in China is definitely not the things that you might find in the States, where it comes to, for instance, how you might manage your credit score. For example, in China, some of the indicators that are used is, for instance, your social commerce behavior, which you might not necessarily find in a FICO score. And of course, there's a lot of various security solutions as well. And where it comes to AI, where it comes to blockchain, they see a lot of use and implementation of that, mainly because my understanding is that they believe that this technology can broaden some of the opportunities that might present themselves in the future, where this may cross the border, or this can serve a very useful purpose in building up the technology that they have locally. Okay. So shore up the technology that they have locally. We started this episode off saying that we were going to talk about the cultural difference between the U.S. and China and how they create common problems for companies that are trying to expand. Tell me about some of the common issues that companies that are looking to expand outside of China, specifically into the U.S., what are the common problems they face? Actually, as I was mentioning before, they tended to have a branding problem. 
there are definitely a lot of uh, cultural differences that make it more challenging for them to truly understand the finite details of various cultural or even political initiatives that are taking place in the U.S. And based on my experience, a lot of these Chinese companies are very attuned to what's happening in the States, but they may not necessarily get those connotations of why this is significant for the society, even though they want to jump on that opportunity to make it a news-biting hook, per se, for some of the marketing activities that they might have coming in the pipeline. So it sounds like what you're saying is it's a branding and communication problem that really affects Chinese-based companies more than it is an institutional problem or a lack of understanding of who the customer is. It's really how you're describing yourself and what resonates in terms of tone and look and feel is different in China than what's successful here in the United States and parts of the rest of the world. Yeah. Chinese companies in the past and also even to this day are really great with a direct user acquisition, especially when it comes to things like advertising. Ad platforms in China have been extremely successful in acquiring overseas, including U.S. users. And there's companies like Cheetah Mobile, who is known for their utility applications, and they have hundreds of millions of users overseas. But at the same time, I think where a lot of these companies tend to fall short and where there tends to be an opportunity for people to help Chinese companies is really on the communication side of things, where that cultural difference, unfortunately, means that some of the content and communications that is put out may not necessarily be considered to be relevant, I guess, to audiences compared to what U.S. companies might be putting out in terms of content. But usually that tends to be associated with Chinese companies that feel that it's better to actually hire internal employees within China. Although these days you do see a lot of these companies with overseas branches, which is also another matter in terms of management. Interesting. I think at the end of the day, when we put our marketing hats on thinking of a worldwide audience, not specifically the difference between China, the United States and other countries, to me, the most important thing is understanding who your customers are, what their needs are, and how to solve them. And what's interesting to me is that you bring up the communication style. And that's obviously a big cultural difference between the United States, China, and all other places across the world. And I think that that's another factor to consider when you're doing your segmentation, you're targeting, you're building your messaging stack is What's the format and way that your messaging will resonate with somebody in a specific location? And now we're talking about localization. So I think we've covered a lot. I think this is a good stopping place. So let's wrap up this episode of the MarTech Podcast here. Thanks to Francis B. from Eleven International for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Francis is going to tell us his thoughts on how to create an effective go-to-marketing strategy for a worldwide audience. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Francis, you can click the link in our show notes to his bio, or you can go to his website, which is 11.international. That's 11.international. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions and we'll answer some of them live on our show. Here's an example of a listener question that we'll be answering in an upcoming episode. Hey, Ben, it's Edward here from the Growth Hub Podcast. And my question for you is, what step-by-step framework do you use to develop a sound content marketing strategy in B2B? Thanks very much.
Okay, of course, you can always reach out to us on social media. My handle is Ben J. Shap on both LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Francis B., we've got some great episodes lined up over the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.